In buying or selling a business, there are a lot of points to consider. From a tax standpoint, to hiring the right employees and management team, especially if you won't be involved in the daily operations of the business, you need to set realistic goals. Analyze how the business is performing and make sure that everyone in your business has a common direction in mind. Welcome to The Michael Saunders Show. Host Michael Saunders and co-host Warren Whitus are here to answer your questions with a high level of expertise and knowledgeable guests. Now, here are Michael and Warren. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Saunders from The Michael Saunders Show. We're very, very lucky to have a special guest with us tonight. Mia St. John, she is going to talk to us about what she's doing in her life now, her past life, a very, very interesting person that we think everybody's going to enjoy hearing what she has to say about her past life, current life, and her thoughts on life itself, and we're looking very forward to it. If everybody's ready, let's start talking and start talking to... Welcome, Mia. Thanks for having me. Well... Let's, can we can we talk a little bit about your professional career first? Because I I was reading your professional career, and I'm like, this young lady started her professional career at 29. Is that correct? And I thought, kind of, kind of, sort of. Okay, because I thought that's a little late in life. To Hold start. on, Warren. Warren, we need to address this situation a little bit better, guys. We have Mia St. John with us. Mia is a professional boxer and former world champion, right, Mia? Five-time world. Five-time. Pardon me. Five-time world champion. <laughs> Mia has an interesting story to tell, and it's not all peaches and cream by any means. Mia has some wonderful things that have, that she's accomplished in her life. But she also has some pretty solemn, somber things that she wants to share. I think her show and her, or I think this show and her story that she's about to share is going to be really inspirational to some, and we're hoping that it helps others cope and 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 share different situations and feelings that they might be having and and holding within. Mia, tell us a little bit about why you're here tonight and the important thing that you came to to share with the audience. Well, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm a five-time world champion. And um, the reason I, I always share that in all the talks that I do because I want people to know that, that anytime you have a passion in life, and that was my passion as a kid when I first saw Rocky at the age of 10 years old. I think it was like back in 1977. And I was just obsessed with Rocky. I wanted to be Rocky so badly. Um, I had started in Taekwondo at the age of six. And by my teenage years, I was competing. But I always had this dream that I want to be a boxer. I want to be a boxer. And it wasn't until um, later in life, like in the 90s, that I started seeing Christy Martin fight on the Tyson cards. And but at the time, like I was so focused on the Sydney Olympics, um, but, and that's why, you know, um, I didn't turn pro until later in life because I was focused on another sport. But once I saw, oh my God, like boxing is really taken off. I could do this now. Um, I had sent a letter to Don King explaining to him that I was a Taekwondo fighter. I was training for the Olympics, but I, my dream is to go pro in boxing. So 
everybody laughed at me. All my sparring partners were like, oh my God, you're so effing crazy. Like you don't start at the top. You start, that's like an actor wanting to be an actor and sending a letter to Steven Spielberg. But I just thought, you know, because my mother always told me I could do anything I want. And so I really believed her. I thought, well, why not? Why can't I start at the top? Why, why do I have to start at the bottom? I don't get it. Um, and two weeks later, Don King had uh, called my manager and flew us out to Florida to sign a contract. But so I tell people that because I, I never want kids to listen to other people saying, you can't do that and you need to um, go A, B, and C. You need to start at the bottom and work your way up and pay your dues. And God knows I did pay my dues. But um, I just want kids to know that, that, that we are the creators of our world and our life. And, and you can create anything in your life that you want. First, you dream it. And then you take the action to actually do it. Um, and, and I think that being a fighter was no coincidence. It, I always thought it was my, my destiny in life. But the truth was, it was just my platform. It was my tool that I was going to use one day to take me to my true destiny in life, which is is now helping others um, with mental health, which, again, it was no coincidence that my mother, before I turned pro, she said, you have to get, she was from Mexico, and she said, you need to get a college degree. Pick whatever you want, but you need a degree. I picked psychology. And I don't think any of that is coincidental. I think it just was all aligned in the stars. It was all meant to be from day one, from before I was born. So let me ask you this. Let's go back to the early 70s before you saw the Rocky film that turned you on to boxing. You're in Taekwondo, right? And I assume you've had a natural kind of talent at Taekwondo. Right. Was that because of Bruce Lee? What, what, what turned you on into Taekwondo, Taekwondo at first? You know, yeah, it was the 70s and it was very popular back then. My dad was obsessed with the martial arts and my dad was a, or is a nuclear engineer. And so he just had this fascination with this side hobby of his, which was, you know, becoming like, you know, a third degree black belt and this and that. And, and he decided to put his kids into it. And I just had a natural ability. I hated it at first because my dad made me do it. My dad even coached me for a long time and he was the world's worst coach <laughs> because he was <laughs> such an asshole, um, such a sergeant, a drill sergeant. Um, uh, you know, I love my dad, but yeah, he was, he was pretty rough on us. Um, but I, I grew to love it eventually later in life. I really, be, when my dad was no longer my coach, I began to love it. So yeah. So you, you take that, and I assume just being in Taekwondo, it kind of puts you in an athletic state of mind. You're used to blocking. You're used to attacking. You know, I assume you kick more than you punch in Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, you're ignoring your legs, or maybe you're able to use that leg work, right? So how was the transition into boxing? Was it a natural, smooth transition? No. Or it was so hard because like you said, I went from, you know, Taekwondo, like, what does it mean? It's, it's, it's like all kicking, you know, that's what it is. And minimal upper body. And so I had very large legs. Um, 
which I had trained, groomed, you know, from day one for that. And so it was really, really a difficult thing. I, I, when I first started boxing, I was fighting on my back leg, which was, you know, for a boxer, that's the worst thing you can do. Um, but so I basically learned to box on national television um, to deal with all the criticism and which was really rough to box on TV and then later read it all on the internet, like Mia Socks. For, for Don King though, was ultimately your promoter. Now, right. just, just based on my, you know, I'm 43 Mia, so I've seen quite a few decades or, or at least uh -huh. years of boxing. I understand that promoters usually try to start you off with, you know, maybe the lesser talented opponents. Yeah. Did he at least try to get you a couple of people that you could really learn from without getting knocked out from? Or did you get your bell rung a time or two in the first fight or two? Well, no, you know, they do start you off gradually, which is what happened to me. But then they test you a few times to see, like, where you're at. And when I was tested, like, I remember it was my third pro fight or fourth pro fight, third or fourth, and I was tested and – what I learned was that I may not have been technically the best fighter at that time, but I was relentless. I was absolutely the biggest nut job in boxing. Like I, I didn't care how good you were. I was going to beat you into submission come hell or high water. Like I did not care. And that's part of, you know, fighting. Were you, were you born with that? Because on the playground, there's the bully and then the bullied. Were you kind of a little tough girl growing up? I I was the bullied okay. that became the bully. So what happened was I was bullied so much of my life because look at this is the era in the late 60s, 70s, where Chicano power, brown power, black pride, that was all coming into play. And a lot of us were from Mexico trying to, um, you know, trying to accept this new culture and, and mix in with, you know, all the Caucasians. And it was very difficult. So it was basically sink or swim, but I was bullied a lot. And what happens to kids who are bullied a lot is they eventually, they either cave and submit or they become the bully themselves and that's what happened to me was I was getting my ass kicked so much that finally I it just a, a switch flipped and and I became <laughs> the the monster so to speak like you fuck with me and you're dead now did your um, father realize that you were getting bullied at school and and try to coach you on how to handle these bullies or uh no my dad was uh oblivious because he was all over the world designing oh, okay. and building nuclear power plants. Oh, okay. Um, but my mother, you know, being that she was born and raised in Mexico, her attitude was, you know, my daughter better be kicking someone's ass because that's the way it is in Mexico, especially on the farm in the barrios. You protect your territory. You, no one gets away with bullying someone. Uh, you, it's all about revenge and getting back, which I don't believe in um, anymore in my life. You know, um, I don't believe in an eye for an eye or. Um, but I'm as a fighter, as a fighter, you literally do have to 
look at your opponent as a friend outside the ring, but once you're in the ring, you do have to kind of put them in the state of mind that this is my enemy. They have done horrible things to me and my family. I am going to get them, right? You have to well, put yourself in the, it, in the... You have to be really dysfunctional. You know, you have to... When you're walking from that dressing room through the tunnel to the ring, what's going through your mind is you know that you could either die or you could kill someone and you have to be okay with either one. And, and to say that I'm willing to die in the ring or kill someone for a stupid title or a big fat paycheck, there's something that has to be a little bit dysfunctional about you because a normal person like Mia today, myself today, my higher self would never allow me to do something so, um, something so um, just inhumane. You know, I'm no longer that person. Um, I'm a completely changed person. I've evolved and, and I am a much more enlightened person than I was as a child. And I consider myself a child up until about, you know, I mean, I retired three years ago. Um, but I, I'd probably say up until then, like I, I finally reformed and you know, became the person I am today. I'd like to think that as we get older, we do kind of naturally mellow out a little bit too, you know? Well, we I, become, sm we do become smarter. And a, lead, and a little bit more of a thinker before an actor, right? Right. So the younger somebody gets in your face, we get in their face back. As you get older, you might be a little bit more reserved. Yeah. Well, we, and as we get older, I know Michael and I have, have this feeling as we get older, we're more concerned about the risk of what if I do hurt somebody out of anger? What, what right. happens then? I mean, like road rage, which is all over. And if, every, you, every do it, if you do it, Mia, your fists are probably considered registered lethal weapons, right? At least well, I, would, I would think that a judge will look at it like that. It would be held against me for sure, but I would never do that. You know, people think that fighters like we're all in the streets like fighting, but Hell no. Like the most of us, like we would not lift a finger to hurt someone unless you're going to sit down and you better be writing me well over a six figure paycheck. Uh, that's what I love about professional fighters. They all say that same thing. Hey, I'm yeah. not, a, I'm not into beating up people. I want to get paid for my profession. Right. And I want to fight gonna the best. My hands. I'm exactly. not going to, I'm not going to break a sweat unless you're paying me. Amen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, people say that all the time, like, oh, don't hit me. And I'm like, don't worry. Like, <laughs> You're not going to write me a check. I'm not going to hit you. So don't worry. Yeah, exactly. So this first segment, we were able to talk a lot about your accomplishments and some of the things that we have to focus on as a fighter growing up, right? And as a Chicano fighter like yourself, right? So the next thing what we're going to do right now, Mia, we're going to go to a quick break. But when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about your life that you've just experienced over maybe the last five or ten years and how it's kind okay. of really, how it's really affected the person that you are now. So everybody okay. stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to The Michael Saunders Show. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. That's sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. Now, back to The Michael Saunders Show. Welcome back to The Michael Saunders Show. Our special guest tonight is Mia St. John, retired professional boxer, uh, businesswoman, uh, just and just... Uh, a really nice person. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, her recent past last five years, talk a little bit about her husband and her son. Uh, so uh, Mia, could you kind of enlighten us a little bit about what had happened to your husband and son? And who are your husband and son, Mia? Well, my ex-husband is Christoph St. John. He was on the Young and the Restless for nearly 30 years. Um, but he had been acting on, you know, sitcoms and, uh, movies since he was seven years old and our son, um, kind of followed that, that artist route. And our son was an artist. Um, uh, he started out as a street artist and then, uh, went to, uh, canvas. She plays and ended up. Uh, signing with the Laguna Gallery of Contemporary Art. Um, but her son had addiction, which he inherited from me and his father. And he 
your son your son is Julian St. John. Right. And when you right. say street artist, was he one of those talented people that would just literally start chalking up a street and it would look <laughs> incredible? Or it would graffiti yeah, almost, would just, but it but like yeah. cool graffiti. He would go, he'd be in the parks, park bathrooms, streets, whatever, just leaving his mark wherever he went. And he eventually started, like I said, he eventually started um, using canvases and other um, materials um, that he could find. And um, because he had schizophrenia and he was an addict, he would end up homeless a lot. Um, And I would be searching the streets trying to find my son and I would find him and park bathrooms and uh, street corners and I would find his art everywhere. And eventually I started picking them up and putting them in a portfolio, just scrounging them up wherever I went, like just as many as I could. And I took them to a gallery in Laguna and a very high end gallery. And I said, well, you know, you might be shocked at what I'm going to show you, but just take a look at this. And, and street art, Back then, like uh, this was like 2013 was really like coming into popularity with Banksy and uh, those guys. And they just loved what they saw. And um, they made them all into Giclees and and we signed a contract and uh, that was that. And he was just he was so talented. He was very eccentric. He was a typical artist that he never showed up for any of his showings. Um, yeah, Mia, my uncle, David, God rest his soul, suffered with schizophrenia. And it's one of those things where he would take medicine and get to the point where he like, didn't trust the medicine. So he wanted to go off it. And there's these situations where when they're taking their medicine, a lot of times they, they seem perfect, but maybe they're a little lethargic. So they get to the point where they want to be off the medicine. I remember ET and I know you've seen ET as well. In E.T., you could find out where E.T. was just by following the Reese's Pieces, right? So in a weird way, you did this with your son. You found his artwork at different places. It must have been pretty magical to find out that he had some real mainstream talent, huh? And, you know, it's just so, it's not coincidence, I think, that that you say, you just said what you said because, yes, you described my son and his meds to a T, and and I used to refer to E.T. all the time. Uh, I'm, get, I'm getting tingles here, Mia. And, yeah, and I would say, in <laughs> fact, I would, use that, I would use that phrase all the time. I would say, E.T., phone home. Like, I would be, like, referring to my son, like, just let me know where you're at. And I, I would. I would piece together. I would go to all the parks and streets, and I would just piece clues together. So, And I would say that all the time, E.T., phone home, please, E.T., phone home. Like, it was crazy. You, you, the, the mental illness issue is something that means an extremely lot to you. It means a ton to you. I assume it's because of your son's situation. Did you have other family members that dealt with mental illness and what are you doing about mental illness and what would you like to maybe share with our listeners that you're doing with regards to mental illness? Well, yeah, it means the world to me and I don't know what possessed me to major in psychology um, when my mom forced me to get a bachelor's degree. I don't know why I chose psychology, but I was uh, particularly interested in schizophrenia. And I worked with kids for extra credit with schizophrenia. And that was, and this was before my son was born. And wow. So, 
that's what you call and that's kind of destiny like huh it's it's i would say it's the strangest thing but i know that the stars were aligned and everything went according to the plan of the universe um because i oh that was my biggest fear i would always pray to god every night don't let my child have schizophrenia because i i knew that there was no cure and that it was degenerative and that if I had a child with schizophrenia, I would probably lose that child sooner than what their a normal life expectancy was. So when my son was born and when he was diagnosed later in life with schizophrenia, I just, I can't even tell you the day I found out I was, my biggest fear in life had come true. And describe and that. Describe that day and, and your biggest fear. I got a call. I, I my son was always eccentric, so I knew that he was, um, you know, he's a little quirky, very good-looking guy. You know, he kind of looked like Jim Morrison, you know, with a a goatee. Right. Yeah, like he was very, you know, you know, a dark one, very just very. Uh, the girls like loved him because he was so mysterious and, but they didn't realize that he was, you know, he had a lot going on in his mind and the guys just thought he was just one cool dude. But I knew that there was something else going on. And when I got a call, he was like in the 10th grade, 11th grade. And I got a call from his best friend's mother saying, Oh my God, Jacob just called me Julian. There's something wrong he's acting really hyper. He's talking fast. He's talking a lot. He doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's Julian. He's saying that he's got a gun. He's, there's going to be a shootout at high school. Then he's going to turn the gun on himself. And, and, um, I immediately with my psych degree, I said, Oh my God, I think my son's in psychosis. And I called his father, Christoph. We made a plan to, um, have his friend bring him to a parking lot. Um, we grabbed him, we got him to a hospital, a psych hospital. And when the doctor called me, um, they told me he had schizophrenia and I, my heart just sank a thousand feet into the ground. It was just, it was my worst nightmare. I noticed you said it was de degenerative. Mm -hmm. So as my uncle Dave progressed through the years, right? He would have medicines, he would get off them, we would try mm -hmm. to urge him to get back on. But some medicines, like it was almost like he grew a tolerance on them. It, it, what do you mean by degenerative? Is it one of those things, do schizophrenics tend to have a, a, a less of a lifespan than a typical uh, American yeah. or human being? Yeah, because, you know, it's kind of like Alzheimer's. Like it's not an illness that gets better. It's a brain illness and you can see it on brain scans and it's, they have an, an excess amount of dopamine running through their brains. And so it, it, it's an illness that progresses. You can kind of stop it in its tracks and maintain, but you're never going to reverse it. it. It can only get worse if you don't maintain it and try to get a hold of it with, with medication. But it's not one of those things that, oh, you're going to make it better and like cancer. Like it, it, you're never going to reverse what's been done. 
Um, and so they tend to not have the lifespan that, you know, a, a regular person would. And they're, they have a do, they have a high rate of suicide. Um, so I knew I'm, that those- I'm glad you mentioned that. Let's segue now. So you find out that he suffers from schizophrenia. This has been kind of a f- deep, dark fear of yours ever since your college days because you saw people and you even said to yourself, please, Lord, don't let my son suffer from this illness ever. So all of a sudden you find out he is. To the listeners that are just joining us on the Michael Saunders show, Mia St. John has a situation where her son Julian uh, has taken his life. Mia, how long ago was it when he did take his life? Was it shortly after this or was there, a, how long did you have him where you knew he did have schizophrenia? Well, I mean, so after we found out, it was just a series of, you know, like you said, on and off the meds and in and out of hospitals. And uh, I would always go in and take him out of the hospital and Christoph would get upset and you got to leave him in there. You're, babying him and the last hospital he was in I I just knew that they were negligent and they didn't treat the patients very well so I went in I took him out against uh, AMA against medical advice and um, he tried to commit suicide when I took him out uh, well when he went back on uh, off the meds and on the meth, he was addicted to meth. Uh, so I ended up putting him back in the hospital and that's where he took his life. And what we found out was that he was through surveillance. We found out that cause he was on suicide watch that they had neglected him for over an hour that they were not giving him his vital antipsychotic and that they falsified the records. Um, they left him in a room with a a man that had a serious criminal record. So what we see in surveillance is my son walks into his room. I was the last person to talk to my son and the last person to talk to Christoph when Christoph does. So my son hangs up the phone, the pay phone walks into his room, shuts the door. The roommate follows him in 10 minutes later, shuts the door. The roommate comes out, exits the room, goes to the pay phone, takes it off the hook, walks away. Uh, 20 minutes later, staff goes in and finds him with bruising on his face, face down, deceased, with a bag over his head. That sounds like murder to me. That doesn't yeah, sound like suicide. suicide. Um, you know, me and Christoph, like, we went through this over and over again with LBPD, Long Beach PD, Um, who just ruled it a suicide. They did not do any investigation because the facility's in Compton. And they told me, well, ma'am, do you know how many uh, deaths come across our table for a a young deceased black male? Mia, that might be the most saddest story I've ever heard in my life. That is just the saddest thing. Yeah. Mio, so we know that this obviously broke your heart and probably makes you sick even to this day. And I, I thank you for having the courage to, to mention this to us. If there was somebody that this might have even affected more, could it have been Christoph, your, your ex-husband? Um, you know, we both spiraled into 
a very deep depression, but Christoph was always like the head of the family. He was the rock that held it, the glue that held us all together. And so he felt like he, you know, and he was still on the show. He was still on YNR. So he felt like he had to keep it together for me, for our daughter, for the show, just to keep everybody going, you know, the grandparents. And so he held it in. And by holding it in, he would leave work and start drinking, self-medicating. And it just got worse and worse until he finally just started telling me, like, I can't live with this and I just want to die. And then it became the fight was on to save Kristoff. And unfortunately, I lost that battle as well. You before know, this, before this, was he ever suicidal or was it literally this? Yeah, this started, the suicide attempts started after, shortly after Julian passed. And there was one horrible, horrific moment where LAPD surrounded his house. TMZ was there shooting the whole thing, showing him with the gun to his head Um trying to humiliate him because he was grieving. I'm sorry. Like, no, listen, compose yourself. We're going to take a quick break. You know, some of these shows are fun and some of these are, we, we, we want people to know that, you know, these things happen in life. So everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for being uh, with us here on the Michael Saunders show. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to The Michael Saunders Show. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. That's sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. Now, back to The Michael Saunders Show. Welcome back to The Michael Saunders Show. Our guest, special guest tonight, very special, is Mia St. John. And we are, in this segment, going to talk about her brand new book, and some other exciting things she's doing as far as charities. So, uh, Mia, please, please tell us about your book first and where we can all buy it and uh, what it's all about. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I just feel like, um, 
you know, there was a point where I was spiraling after uh, the death of Christoph, and I just felt like, you know, I, I only had two choices, and that was I was either going to die along with my son and, and his father, or I was going to fight my way back to the top and, and, and help others who are suffering and try to make a difference in this world because I feel like that's what I was born to do. I cannot give up now. So, you know, we, I just, I went on a media frenzy after Christoph passed. I, I just got myself together. I did the Today Show, Dr. Oz, CNN, you name it. I went, I went and talked about it. And as hard as that was, I feel like it was like, it was a duty of mine to get the word out there and try and help as many people as I could. And by doing that, I ended up getting, signing a deal with um, a Folio Literary Group in New York. And we just finished the proposal. And now, um, uh, you know, we're taking meetings with publishers. And so, a lot of positive changes. You know, we also have, you know, our foundation, uh, which you can find miastjohnfoundation.org. Um, we have fundraisers, and right now we have programs, two programs in Santa Monica, California at Step Up on 2nd. And we also have a main facility in Palm Springs, California. Um, we have a center in uh, Zacatecas, Mexico, Barrio de la Cantera. Um, so what we do is we give free services to anyone who is suffering from mental illness, homelessness, and or addiction. Awesome. Um, that is awesome. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's all in the name of, you know, it started with my son, you know, and his art studio, which now people can come and they can see his art for free and uh, they can work there. They can, we even have a boxing ring in there. Um, so yeah, you can take classes, uh, everything. We'll, we'll find resources for you. You know, we've housed a lot of people that were homeless, got them into hospitals, got them on meds, uh, got people off drugs, you know, or alcohol, whatever. Um, you might need. We'll uh, we'll, we'll help you. We're did, I hear, did I hear you right that you've got the proposal through for your book, but it has has the title not been solidified yet? So not yet. There is a title. It's a pending title. What is um, it? Give us the pending title. The pending title is "Fight for My Life." A fight for my life. But but we, it's it's we it's not we haven't settled on that yet. So so I like it. Yeah. I think it sounds yeah. catchy. Yeah. Or or it's going to be the fight of my life. But anyway, the proposal's done, and and now we're in the you know the interviewing process of publishers, and you know, so we'll see. Well, when it is finalized and you actually do have the title. Let us know. We'll definitely share it with the listeners and what have you. Thank so, you. Uh, so we, we went over a little bit about what happened with Julian. We were just starting to get into what happened with Christoph. Mm -hmm. um, Christoph and you were divorced at the time. 
he's mm-hmm. going through some tough times because he found finds out about your son Julian. We end up losing Christoph as well. So that makes all of these things that you're talking about with your book, with your charitables, that much more vital. And we want the people uh, in the audience to know that if you're dealing with any of these issues, you know, you need to reach out and, and try, to, try to share that with people and let people know. You know, a lot of times um, I was telling Warren before the show, Mia, that, you know, when people do tend to take their lives, a lot of times people didn't even know they were depressed or sad. Uh, people, right. that are, people that are depressed have a really amazing way of, of hiding it, don't they? It, it's true. And what always shocks me is, you know, I was talking to um, Drew Pinsky the other day, who who's a friend of ours, and I do a show a lot. He was saying, you know, I just, I just saw Kristoff, you know, a few days before he died. He was so happy. He was so energetic and positive and this and that. And I said, that was Kristoff. That was his mask. Like the only people that really saw the severity of his depression and his addiction was, you know, us, his close family, you know, his, his daughters and myself. And we knew the real Kristoff, but that's how a lot of people are. Like, you know, they put on a face and a mask for, you know, especially if they're on a TV show um, I was just going to say for, for the people at home that might have forgotten Drew Pinsky, I believe that's Dr. Drew. So yeah. if you can fool Dr. Drew, uh, I think you can be fooled as well. So right. you know, that's one of the things. So Mia, you know, based on what you know now, looking back, were there any signs that, you know, maybe you, you could have maybe looked out for in, in, in either case or were, were they kind well, of situations sure. where you knew? Well, sure. And I did, I did everything I could, you know, I put my son in the hospital, took him out of the hospital, put him back in the hospital, changed this med, changed that. I did everything I could to save my son's life. Um, as far as Christoph, same thing. Like I babysat him. I took him to the set. I helped him through, get through makeup, get through his lines. I took him home. I, uh, talked to him as he was dying the day he called me, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, you know, called me saying that he just wanted to die. He was heavily intoxicated. He died with a 0.34 alcohol level, but it wasn't just that day. It was every day, Mm -hmm. you know, and 0.34, if you look it up, it's, it's, you either, you're either in a coma or you're dead. Um, And I couldn't get to him quick enough because I was doing a signing in Newport beach So I had to call his best friend and I said, I don't care how you do this, but you got to get in that house. You got to break down that door and you got to get in. I said, something is terribly wrong. And, um, you know, at first he thought, Oh, you're just overreacting. Christoph's like this every day. (laughs) You know, we just kind of got so used to the, you know, what he was going through, but you know, he, anyway, he did it. He got in there and, um, he was already gone. I got, I got to ask a question just out of curiosity because I know how human nature can be. Are you remarried now or do you have a significant other? And if so, did 
did your significant other accept your relationship with your ex as far as, you know, cause some, some new people are like, Hey, I don't even want you talking to that ex guy. Were, were, did, was your significant other, you know, acceptable with your situation with your ex? What's crazy that you asked that is I've been living with a boyfriend who is very good friends with Christoph. He's a doctor and he was, he got along very well with Christoph. Uh, we, had been together for almost seven years. And after Christoph died, I went to such a downward spiral. It shocked the hell out of him because he said, I knew you guys were really close, but I never knew that you would be so devastated by his death. And um, he left me. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. And it was probably the worst time I think you could leave someone. Um, I'd gotten out of the hospital uh, because uh, I had to be put in the hospital. That's how traumatized I was by the death of Christoph. And when I got out, he said, I need a break. You know, Mia, I know this, I know this sounds weird, but I think Michael and Warren will agree. I just, I have a unique way of, kind of talking to people that because <laughs> I'm really good at empathy and I, I try to literally put myself in your spot, you know, and it's just my grandmother. Uh, I went to my uncle's funeral where my grandmother buried her son and he was 50 years old. He died of cancer and it was just wow. really sad. This was the same uncle that had suffered from schizophrenia. So I really feel, I really felt like God kind of gave him a double or even triple whammy in life, you know? Yeah. Um, but I just want you to know that I really feel for you. You know, um, I guess sometimes God gives us what we can handle, but I guess your, your significant other couldn't handle certain things, but you know, maybe I, I like to believe that there's someone better for you. In yeah, the future, for sure. You know? completely, completely. I believe that everything, all the cards that I've been dealt, have been for a purpose for the greater good and and people will you know we've already helped so many people and and I have to look at it that way that yes my ego would give anything to have my child back but the universe sees it as it's about the greater good and not just one child but for me I have my ego and I'm like but I'd rather have my child, you know. But Mia, that's why we love having you on the show. You have a way of being honest, and I think your honesty is very beautiful. You know, it's interesting. You yeah. did boxing, which, let's be honest, especially at the time you did it, a lot of people said that's a man sport, and you proved right. them wrong. So now me, me uh, Michael, and Warren are going to do something to prove the world wrong. There's a Daisy Fertility clinical device, right, to help women decide when they're pregnant. Check this out, Mia. We're about to do our ad read, and you get to be our, uh, you get to be our audience here. Warren, oh, Michael, are you guys ready? Are we going to do this while we're recording, or you want to? Let's do it. Of course, that's the point okay. of it. Okay, I just didn't know if you want to do it while we're recording or not. Okay, well, I'll start us off then. Wait, Michael, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Believe Warren, let's I'm do ready. this. Here we go. The days of monitoring our health through smart technology are here. Get a better understanding of your menstrual cycle and fertility with the Bluetooth-enabled DAISY. It's the user-friendly tracker that draws on knowledge for over 30 years of research. FDA compliant and scientifically backed, DAISY tracks your cycle through body temperature, 
fertility status is displaying using a simple color code, red for when you're fertile, green for when you're not fertile, and yellow for when Days is learning more about you. Pair the device with the app and email and share data from your phone. Daisy puts you in control of your health the smart way. Please go to daisy.us because the Daisy Fertility device makes an excellent stocking stuffer or a New Year's resolution gift. Everybody, thank you for being a part of the uh, Michael Saunders show today. Mia, thank you so much for being with us. We would love for you thank to consider, you. consider us and come on again in the future. Do you think you'd be uh, cool with coming on with us again in the future? Of course. Well, Mia, I have one thing to say. You're, you're a champion inside the ring, but... I truly believe you're a champion outside the ring too. Thank you, you so you much. Know, you've had you've had a lot of challenges put forth, and uh, you've overcome. And I'm sure you'll you'll move on, especially from the guy that uh, decided he couldn't stay stick around and. and uh, yeah, what a right. yeah, what a bum! Yeah. Hey, uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael, like Michael, you have one minute. Tell Mia what you thought of her, because I know you think a I lot of her. I thought she was exceptional, and I'm sorry about that introduction this morning while ago. <laughs> It was just your story so human. I mean, I, you know, I'm sitting here listening to it, and we all think, what would I do in that position? You know, I have a daughter, and you start thinking about what if that was my daughter, and how would I handle that situation? And it's just unbearable. But, you know, you're a very strong person. I've never met you. I've listened to you talk. But I feel like you're somebody that has it all together, even though when times are bad, you know that you're going to survive. And there's a reason for that. I'm convinced God puts you here to be able to help people after such a tragedy that's happened to you. And I oh, really, really are thankful for you coming on and talking. Thank you so much for having me. Mia, really Mia, Mia must mean warrior in Hebrew or something. It's got to. <laughs> well, you know what's so funny about him messing up my name is I was actually born it was legally changed, but I, I was actually born Maria Elena, Maria oh. Elena. Oh, okay. Very yeah. interesting, which just proves Michael knows something we don't. Yeah, Everybody, yeah. thank you for being a part of the Michael Saunders <laughs> Show. You. We'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed and learned from this edition of the Michael Saunders Show. Please join Michael and co-host Warren Whitus again next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, have an amazing week. And thanks again for listening.